0: You're listening to Summit Podcasts, where you'll find sermon audio, weekly discussions of the message, the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and much, much more. Subscribe today at summitpodcast.church and share this episode with your friends. Summit Church, every life made different.
1: Hey, I want to welcome all of you that are joining us online for Leadership Night. Thank you so much, whether you're watching this live or after the fact, uh, later on, listening to the podcast, we're grateful for you joining us, and we're also grateful for all of our friends down at Summit Blairsville joining us today as well. We love you guys! Thanks for taking time to grow to your leadership today. We really do appreciate it. Uh, if you're new to Leadership Night, <clears throat> basically what Leadership Night looks like is we'll talk for a few minutes. I'll share typically I'll share some some leadership content, and then we'll just chop it up and talk about it. How does this apply to our lives? Tonight it's gonna look a little different than that, but it's still the same basic concept, that we're gonna just talk through some leadership principles together and just talk about what it might look like in application in your life. Uh, So that's what we're gonna talk through. Uh, So thank you guys again in Blairsville for joining us. A couple of things we may do, um, we want you included, and I might not hear some of your responses, but uh, Pastor Colin will there in Blairsville, so go ahead and join in. Um, you know, one of the things that's interesting about leadership is that uh, nobody wants to be a bad leader. Uh, nobody says I want to be incompetent. Nobody says I want to lose a place of leadership. We all want to be good leaders, and I think instinctively there are things we know about good leaders, or we can tell, or we can just we see somebody and we go, "Man, they're a good leader." Uh, but the same is true about bad leaders. We've seen people, maybe you've worked for them, that you just went, oh, man, this person could not lead a group of people out of a cave. Uh, they're bad leaders. And sometimes it's hard to define what does that look like. Um, so if you don't mind, let's just, let's just brainstorm a little bit, and you can shout it out. Uh, just share some ideas. What, what are some traits of a good leader? Empathetic. That was quick. What else? No responsibility is beneath them. Okay. They're not too good to do anything. Right. Yeah. We're accountable, for their accountable, that's a good one. Lead by example. Lead by example. That's a good one. What else? Decisive. Decisive. They look as they look too towards leadership as a responsibility, not a position of oh. power. Yeah. It's a responsibility, not a position. By example, is that what you said? Yep. By example. Mm-hmm. You guys are talking faster than I can type. My ninth grade high school typing class did not prepare me for this moment. So what else? What are some other some other traits or skill sets of a good leader? What are some other things that you go? Man, I know this. If I have a good leader, they need to do this, they need to be this, whatever it might be. Successful. Successful? Okay. What do you mean by successful? Yeah, go ahead and come on over, Michael.
2: Um, they're able to by the, by the <laughs> way that they lead. Um, they have the, the whatever your group is heading in the right direction. Yeah. Um, and so you're looking at the way they lead is is taking that is taking your your company yeah. in the right in the right direction. Should we say results? That's perfect.
1: They, they get good results. Okay. Then that, yeah, I'm along with that. Anything else? This doesn't have to be an exhaustive list, but I'm just curious. <clears throat> Organized, hopefully. Yeah. That's a good one. Charismatic. Okay. What about strong willed? Are you asking or are you telling? <laughs> strong willed, resilient. Yeah. Respectful of the people that you lead, Okay. Respect the people. What else? Assertive full, of grace. Assertive, full of grace. That's a good one too. Especially especially if uh, maybe you show up late once in a while or, yeah, it's good to have somebody that's got some grace. Anything else? And again, we're not necessarily trying to couple with an exhaustive list, but. Did anybody say smart? Nah, we don't need that. <laughs> Intelligence, nah, we don't need him to be smart. We just need him to talk good. <laughs> yeah, intelligence is probably a good one. What about wise? Wise, That yes, I think that's As a good one. As distinct
0: from intelligent.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good one. Okay, so let me go the other direction for a second. What are some traits of some bad leaders? Do we just want to say the opposite of everything we just said? I mean, we probably could do that and not take the time. Um, Not empathetic, uh, too good to do anything, unaccountable. They do not lead by example. Um, They're indecisive. They're about the position, not the responsibility. Uh, They're not successful in their results. They're disorganized. They can't motivate their people. They're not charismatic. They're weak-willed. They are unresilient. (laughs) <laughs> this, this is just the kind of list that everybody is like, man, that person runs for public office. I know that person anyway. <clears throat> this more and more sounds like. Uh, what about deceitful? Deceitful, yeah. <clears throat> so honest would be on the good, good leader list then, is that right? I don't think anybody said honest. But <clears throat> yeah, let's see, did we say, I don't think anybody said character either. That's interesting. Okay. Okay. So let's, let's go here for a second. Um, if leadership is not just about, not just about a a trait, it's because the things we were talking about here are not just traits that are inborn that you, you're born with these things. There seems to be a lot of things we described that are skills that can be learned And that's part of why you guys are here tonight, why those of you that are in Blairsville are in Blairsville and some of you are watching online, some of you are are listening to the podcast because you are desiring skills that will help you grow in your leadership. And skills can be learned. And there are things that we think leaders are naturally born and that is not the case at all. Leadership is a skill set that can be learned if we're willing to learn it. And so... I wanna talk about a few ways I think we can learn skills for leadership and then what I wanna do is, is turn it back to you guys. to We can talk about some of the things I shared but I also wanna hear from you all and, just, and those of you in Blairsville, those of you watching online, I wanna hear what you guys have to say about um, what are some skills that we can learn, some ways that we can learn skills to grow our leadership capability. So how how do we develop leadership skills? Um, And these are in no particular order. The first one I thought of was to learn self-awareness because a good leader is gonna be self-aware. A good leader understands how they interact with the people around them, how their emotions impact the people and uh, change the the feel of a room when they walk into it. They understand that. Uh, And again, that's not something I think that happens Instinctively, necessarily, it can, but I think it's something we can learn. Uh, so h- let me ask you guys a question. Um, you can kick out, just throw out your answer, and if we need to expand, we can. Um, how can we learn self-awareness? What do you think are some ways we can learn to be more self-aware? What was that? To pay attention? To pay attention? Okay. You're just, you just look for those things. Okay. So let's go a little deeper with that. Let's go a little deeper with that. Look at how people perceive you. So Travis, how do you actually functionally do that?
2: Well, I think you have to sort of be in thought, you know, in how you deal with your, the people that you work with, Mm -hmm. um, that you're uh, responsible for. Uh, Do you feel like you make them comfortable? Do you, uh, do you feel like you give them confidence in the tasks that That you have them doing.
1: Yeah. Um, So I'm just playing devil's advocate. If you're struggling with self-awareness, then you're not probably going to be aware enough to really be able to see how that happens. So that's that's true. So Um, what is something really practical that we can do as leaders in order to get that feedback? Ask. There it is.
2: There it is. I think that's the million dollar answer, which is the, you know, that's where the, you know, when you have the, um, where you meet with people and you go over how you're doing, you also turn it around and say, now, how do you feel that I'm doing in leadership? Are there things that I could do that would make your, uh, you more comfortable or more productive or that way?
1: Yeah, and that is such a hard question to ask, though, if we're going to be honest. It is. Because leaders don't, we want we want to get better, but we don't want to hear about how we're not very good at something. And so it's really, really, really important for us to ask for feedback and then to listen to the feedback. We don't just ask for feedback and then we go, well, they're dumb. They don't know what they're talking about. I'm going to ignore all of that. But it's it, we have to ask. And then when we hear the feedback, we have to go, okay, Maybe they've got an axe to grind, but maybe there's some truth here that I need to get better at some whatever skill set this is. And this is the I think in my opinion. This is the number one way we become more self-aware is by hearing what other people are saying about how we're behaving, how our attitudes are affecting others, how our values are affecting others. We have to ask, and most of us do not. Um, but I think for me, I've got I've got. Four people in our organization that answer direct. Well, not four. That's not true. I've got five people in the organization that answer directly to me. And in all of our one-on-ones, I will um, happen every other week. I will ask the question something to the effect of what you just said. Hey. Is there something I'm doing that's making your job harder? Um, what do you see in me that would, you know, I need a change that's going to help you be more successful in your job? Those are the kind of questions that I think are so important for us to ask, but they're terrifying to ask at first. But if we ask it, it's going to help us become more self-aware. So that's that's a great answer.
2: And the, one, and the one thing I'd say is the more opinions you get, you know, if you get the same kind of a negative feedback on mm-hmm. something, then, Maybe there's, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. Sometimes you have to look and say, well, you know, we've I've had several people sort of indicate, um, you know, I don't make them feel comfortable about or co- instill confidence or whatever. Yeah. Maybe I, you know, need to sort of take a look at the way I do things and yeah. and try to improve.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, something that's a little more specific for us or for me, especially in my role, one of my primary jobs is public communication And so one of the painful things that I do, but one of the important things I do, is to watch game film, and I will go back and watch a sermon once in a while, and I will pick up things, I'll see things, and I'll realize, oh my gosh, I had no idea I said that so often until I watch it. And it stinks, it's painful. And so most of you probably don't have that uh, as part of your responsibility, But there's probably some form of game film you have that you can go back and look at or go back and review things or go back and look at something and go, okay, how did I do on that? And be able to go back and review. But these are two ways that I I think it's really important for us to become self-aware. So learn self-awareness. The second thing is this. Take on new challenges or responsibilities. Uh, And this is a little harder depending on what your role is in your organizations. Um, but I think it's important for us to volunteer to step into new roles, different roles. Maybe you ask to help with a project that's outside of your department. Um, ask to sit in, ask to be a part, ask to take a role. Because what happens many times is people, uh, whether you are department head or you're uh, CFO or whatever it might be, it's easy for us to fall into ruts where we just get used to our role and our routine. And when we get used to a habit habitually doing the same thing over and over, uh, we get stagnant. We get stagnant mentally. uh, We get stagnant in our jobs and our skill sets. And so if we want to develop leadership skills, it's important for us to see things differently than we currently do. And this is one of the reasons I think it's so good for people to go, hey, I'm gonna keep doing my job, but hey, can I help with this project as well? Can I give four hours a week to this, just to speak into it, just to help with it, just to assist with it? Because you're gonna see things differently than you currently do. Um, I heard of a church not too long ago that the pastor had a staff meeting and it was a very large church in Dallas, Texas, and he told the church staff, hey, I, I want you to know that for the next, I think it was six months, Everyone in here is going to have a different role. We're assigning you to a different area. And so um, they would take the youth pastor and put them in worship, and they took the kids' pastor and put them in media, and they moved people into all different roles. And they did that for a couple of reasons. Number one, they did it because they wanted them to understand that they're. Calling was not to a job, but it was to this organization. Hey, you're part of this organization, and we want you to see and value different roles. But then they wanted fresh eyes in different seats to be able to speak into some things differently than they could otherwise. And after the fact, there was obviously people that hated it, but there was a lot of people who really enjoyed it and saw things differently And the pastor said, overall, he felt like the health of their organization was better. Now, I'm not advocating you do that across the board and you're like, hey, we're gonna take sales and we're gonna put them in in, um, R&D or anything like that. But I think it's important for us to sit in different seats, have some different responsibilities and do things differently than we have before. Number three, um, and this is a challenge because we're more myopic than we think we are. But if you wanna develop leadership skills work on seeing the big picture. One of the things uh, that I've seen as I've been on staff at churches in different roles, as I've worked in different organizations outside of the church, is that if you're not the boss, it's so easy to get focused solely on what is my responsibility and that's it. Um, When I was a youth pastor back in the day, Um, I was a youth pastor in Austin, Texas, uh, where Pastor Colin was part of my youth ministry. And And our youth ministry was doing pretty well, but the church was in decline. And to be very honest with you, I didn't care that the church was in decline very much because my ministry was being successful. What I foolishly didn't understand is it didn't matter how successful my ministry is. If the organization is failing, then we're in trouble. And so... It's important to, to have the point of view that, yes, what you're doing is important, what you're de- Department is doing is important, but it has to support what the bigger organization is doing. Because if the organization is failing, you're in trouble. And so this is why it's so important for us to look beyond our department or our branch or our region or whatever it might be and say, what is going on in the big picture? How is what I'm doing affecting the big picture? And how can seeing what's going on throughout the organization help me become a better leader? Because Good leaders who are at the top of a flow chart are people who see the big picture. They don't just look at today, right now, what I need to get done today, but they're, they've got foresight, they're looking down the road, they're anticipating issues and problems. They're not just looking at one department, they're looking at all the departments and how these departments work together to move things forward for progress. And so one of the most important things we can do is to learn to be able to see the big picture, to look beyond just simply what I'm doing, and understand the value of the larger organization. Um, sorry, I was taking another note. Number, number four. There we're on. Number four. Um, somebody said this earlier when I asked you about good leaders. Um, a good leader, a good skill set to learn in order to become a better leader is to work to motivate others. No matter where you're at in your flow chart, in your organization you can develop the skill of motivating others if you are intentional about it and if you are proactive about it. Um, Again, if you have settled into your job and you're just kind of doing it and you're punching the time clock, you're probably not going to care about motivating others. But if if you can see the value of motivating and encouraging and inspiring other people, and I don't usually use the word inspire, but feels a little Oprah sometimes, but if you can inspire other people, um, then you are going to have more value to your organization than a person who's simply punching the clock every day. Um, if you can see beyond yourself and it's, it's one thing to motivate yourself and not everybody can motivate themselves. But it's another thing for somebody who can motivate not only themselves, but the people around them. That is a person who can lead at a higher level. And so if you can learn the the art of motivating others, and it begins by just seeing beyond yourself, seeing other people, seeing what their needs are, and encouraging them in that, um, you have to... You have to understand the value of, like I said in the last point, the the team win. So hey, this might not be good for me, but if you win and we're in this organization together, then I win. So I'm gonna encourage you, I'm gonna inspire you, I'm gonna help motivate you. And some of motivation is um, knowing the individual. And we've talked about this idea in the past, but I had a high school basketball coach and I was not a great basketball player in high school by any stretch of the imagination, but we had a, a great high school basketball coach. And the thing he did so well was he understood the differences between players on the team. And there were some players on our team that he would curse up and down a blue streak on them. He would let them have it. He would unload on them with words that I thought he was inventing because they were so outside of my language set. But then he would come alongside me when I was an idiot and I would do something stupid. And he knew, hey, if, if I scream at Mel, Mel's probably going to shut down because that's how I was. If you screamed at me, if you yelled at me, if you cursed at me, I would be like, cool. And I would stop, I would just disengage. Um, And so he knew, hey, with Mel, I've gotta come alongside him and go, hey, here's what I see, here's what you need to do different. Uh, And that's what motivated me. So if you wanna motivate other people, if you wanna be someone who can lead and motivate others well, you've gotta understand what motivates them. You've gotta understand what pushes the buttons, What. Uh, what makes them unique and what helps them get to the next level. And it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort to get to know the people that you're around and to understand their heart and understand their psyche. But this is what you have to do in order to learn how to motivate others. Um, You can learn this skill set, but it's hard and it's not easy. So that's why a lot of people just don't do it. Number five, keep learning. Um, Don't settle on what you know of what you've experienced depending on what, how long you've been in your organization or in your, um, your field or in your expertise, it's so easy for us to get to a place and go, I know, people are asking me questions now, so I'm pretty smart, I've got this. And we just coast, we stop learning. Um, But that's when we cap ourselves as far as our leadership goes. If we settle with what we know, we settle on our experience, then that is the beginning of the end of our leadership credibility. So we have to continue learning, have to continue growing, and especially if we want to grow into a better leader. Um, one of the most important things you can do in learning is to just watch good leaders, find a good leader and watch what they do and then do what they do. Um, I've, man, we've got a couple of residents here with us at summit. And one of the things I've told them over and over and over again is, Hey, what I want you to do is watch. I just want you to watch how they do this and figure out what works and what doesn't work. And as you move forward, copy the good stuff and throw away the bad stuff. How about that? Um, and we didn't really talk about this, but In my experience, I've actually learned more from bad leaders than good leaders. Um, I've sat under leaders that were abusive, that were verbally abusive, that were not godly, that were not men of character at all. Uh, And I have learned so much from some of those people that it helped me moving forward. Some of the people that were the nicest, that had high character, I didn't learn as much from them. Um, I learned more from some of the bad leaders. And I, I've used this illustration before. Um, years ago, I mean, we, we own a house, but we rented houses for years. And you know, when you rent a house, you, you get what you get. You, you don't have a lot of options. And so every house we ever lived in, I would make a note about the things I didn't like. And I would go, someday when we build a house, it's not gonna look like this. Uh, we had a house one time where the master bathroom had no separation between the bathroom and the master or, bedroom. So if my wife got up to brush her hair in the morning, she turned on the lights, and the lights were like right in your eyes. And I was like, we're never doing that someday, right? I learned from the bad. And when even if you're under a bad leader, I am telling you today, you can learn from the bad leader um, more than the good leader sometimes if you're paying attention. Sometimes we're just victims. We go, oh, I've got a bad leader and my leader stinks and they don't appreciate me. And that's where we stay. But if we'll look and say, what can I learn from this? You can get so much There's a wealth of information from bad leaders if you will pay attention. So with a good leader, you watch what they do and you do what they do. With a bad leader, you watch what they do and you do the opposite of what they do and you will be good. So keep learning. Number six, take initiative. Somebody mentioned this one earlier too. Um, One of the worst things you can do if you want to be a leader and develop the skill set of leaders is to wait for somebody to give you direction. Wait for somebody to tell you what to do. Well, I was here, I was waiting We've had people um, here that were interns or residents with us and you'd give them something to do and they would finish and then they would go hide somewhere. You're like, Where are you? Well, I did what you asked me to do, but th- why didn't you do anything else? Well, you didn't tell me what else to do. It's like, okay, I didn't know I was going to have to hold your hand this whole time. That person is not a leader. Uh, A leader is somebody who goes, hey, I I identify problems and I solve problems. They're not people who who will say, hey, if you give me a problem, I'll try to figure out how to solve it. But if I can't, then sorry. Um, A leader is somebody who's going to take initiative. They're going to solve problems. They're not gonna wait for direction or even permission sometimes. They're not gonna wait for you to say, yeah, go do that. They're just gonna go do that. And so if you want to be a high quality leader, if you wanna learn leadership better, I would say take initiative. Number seven, Roman numerals are hard, sorry. Uh, Number seven, work on your communication skills. Um, There's three primary types of communication skills. Written, written's really important. Uh, Across the board, written communication skills are so important. It's shocking to me on social media how bad written communication skills are. Uh, Just the things like, this one drives me crazy. Uh, Does anybody go crazy when somebody says, um, I'm so happy to be a part of your team, but they spell apart all as one word. And I want to say, oh, you want to be, you're so happy to be separate from our team? Because a part is different from a part. That drives me insane. It's grammar. It's written communication. It doesn't seem like a big deal. It is a big deal. It changes the meaning entirely. Um, Commas in different places make all the difference in the world. Um, and we see this all the time because there's so much written communication in the world. And it is super important to understand the, the value of written communication, no matter what level you're at. But the higher you intend to go, the better your written communication skills need to be. There's also nonverbal communication skills. This is something that we overlook so many times. But if I sit, if I go to coach a, a, a church and their leadership, and I'm in the room with them for 10 minutes, I could probably give you a pretty good idea who their leaders are, sometimes just by their body language. Um, I can look at people and their posture will tell me a lot about what they think about me or whether they think about what I'm saying. And so it's important to make sure that if I wanna lead well, if I wanna lead others well, my body language is reflective of who I am as a leader and what I'm trying to do as a leader, Uh, that I'm not, going to disengage in a room. I am not going to just be looking at my phone or looking down. I'm going to be taking notes. I'm going to be engaged with what the person's saying. Even in one-on-one conversations, your body language is so important because it's it's creating an atmosphere of combativeness or inclusion, just simply how we sit with someone else. And then the last one I'll mention is uh, the verbal communication skills. And I was talking to Michael before we got started this is so important because we typically think good verbal communicators are naturally born, that people are either good at it or they're not. And that is, that is not the case at all. And I think some people might be a little more gifted to begin with than others, but, uh, you might look and go, man, Mel, you're good at this. you just get up and talk and, and, There's some truth to that, but I will tell you, I work hard on my craft. I watch my own sermons sometimes to pay attention to what I'm saying or not saying. What is my body language saying? Um, There was a communicator, a pastor, well-known author, uh, that I saw him preach for the first time years ago. And throughout his entire 40-minute message that he was preaching, he did this. The whole time. If he moved, he would move. And then he would do this the whole time. It drove me insane. I had no idea what he was saying. I didn't care. I just wanted to strangle the life out of him. And stop swaying. Are you slow dancing? What are you doing? But he had no idea he was doing it. And maybe he had a... You know, he was trying to prevent a blood clot. I don't know what he was doing. I have no idea. But the point is, I didn't even catch his message. He might have been the most eloquent communicator in the world, but his body language on stage, his mannerisms on stage, caused me to miss everything he was saying. Uh, and so there's things we can do to fix some of that because maybe you are not an eloquent communicator. That's okay. There are skills that you can work on to get better. You can listen to yourself. You can avoid words like, uh, um, a couple of weeks ago, we had an FCA representative here and it was his first time he had done this and I'm calling him out, but I love Dante Lombardi. He's my guy. And Dante did a great job. And after he was done, I said, you need to go watch yourself and take notes Uh, because he he said uh, so often throughout his presentation that if he would just tweak that, if he would just capture that in his mind, it would be even better than it was. It would take it to another level by simply getting rid of that one word. And there are things we can do to go, okay, conscientiously, I'm going to stop doing that. And church is the worst because oh, some of oh, you guys are going to be so self-conscious about this now. People, when they pray publicly, when they pray out loud, a lot of people are uncomfortable. And a lot of us will revert to comfortable phrases or words like Lord God, Lord God, we love you, Lord God. And Lord God, I ask that Lord God, you would move in this service, Lord God. There's things like that, that we will go to, to buy space or fill time, whatever it is to give ourselves an opportunity to think. And if we will eliminate those things, what we're communicating verbally will be so much more effective and efficient. But we have to pay attention and we have to work on that as a skill, not just dismiss it as something that's natural or not. So that is my basic list. That is not all inclusive. Let me throw it out to you guys and those of you guys in Blairsville as well, those of you guys online. I wanna hear some feedback from you all. What are some other skills that we can learn and ways we can learn to be leaders, to be better leaders than we currently are. So, Michael, do you want to start? Well, we have some input online,
0: and I input. think this lends nicely to a question. Yeah. Um, Linda Hall said that a good leader would be driven by principles, not ego. Now, the question is, what is the role of an ego in a good leader? And I'll preface that by saying, for instance, I don't think I'd want to work for you if I knew I could walk all over you. Right. And part of the reason why I can't is your ego,
1: but <laughs> but you saying I've got a big ego? Is that what? But you're, if you that's can un- nice.
0: <laughs> if you can field that and kind of unpack yeah. that, because I don't think no, I don't think that uh, total self-abasement as a leader is the same thing as being humble. Yeah. And I think that there, you can lose your leadership authority if you're not careful with how you handle your ego.
1: Yeah. I think it was C.S. Lewis that said humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Um, and so the truth is every leader I've ever known in any industry across the board has ego. The, the problem is not that we have ego. The problem is that our ego is bigger than our heart or our character. And so if we are driven by our ego, that's where the problem is. Um, if we're driven for the good of the people around us, if we have a, a charitable heart um, toward the people around us, Uh, We're looking out for their best interest, not just our best interest. As long as that is bigger than our ego, we can work with that. That'll be fine. Because everybody I know has ego to some degree or another. Um, And so that's not the problem. The problem is when our ego is what's driving the car for us. So does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. The principles, principle driven, not ego driven. I would agree with you, Linda. That's a good one. Okay, so what else do we have besides the list I made on ways we can develop some leadership skills? Yeah, Chucky. Uh, something
0: that's uh, stuck with me is managing to everybody's strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Understanding that each individual employee has you know specific strengths mm-hmm. um, and specific weaknesses. Yeah, and uh, you know just finding I, I guess which ones to elevate and which ones to to manage to more.
1: Yeah, I think that's such a huge key um, in, in driving a successful team is identifying those things. Because what, what tends to happen in uh, management is we have a picture for what a successful employee looks like, and if you don't meet this picture, then you're a failure. But a good manager will understand, oh, hey, you can be successful and look different, but I might need to adapt some things to some of these strengths and weaknesses. Does that make sense? And so, yeah, I think, I think it's really important for us to adapt. And then now, again, we have to have a culture that people adapt to and assimilate to, but we have to be flexible about some of those things, too, and we have to adapt as leaders. So that's good. Uh, I got two things. Yeah. Um, one maybe isn't
3: so much about – I think it gives room to grow as a leader, and I think it's developing a good rhythm within your organization – Um, Whether it's a rhythm of meetings, whether it's a rhythm of trainings, Mm -hmm. of conversations, you know, walking around, you know, and engaging your employees on a on a rhythm, something like that. Yeah. Uh, The other one um, is a mentor or a coach Mm -hmm. to help with the accountability and the recognition of what's going on and how to, I guess, grow.
1: Yeah. So uh, stick, stick with Sean for a second there. So, Sean, for you, you mentioned a couple things, but how do you actively manage? Uh, how does managing rhythms help you be a better leader?
3: Uh, so I, I'm a shiny thing kind of person, so mm-hmm. I get distracted easily. Uh, so within my, just my calendar, let's say, yeah, I set meetings weeks and months in advance. Uh, so they automatically cause me to have a rhythm. Oh, I got to meet with that person every other week. Oh, I'm going to be talking about this. I'm doing that evaluation. Okay. Uh, those types of things. Yeah, uh, and then also in terms of training, um, you know, like we have certain staff that go to certain certain trainings, certain times of a year regularly, uh, mm-hmm. stuff like that.
1: Okay, no, that makes sense, and even. Uh, If we're looking at these things, one of the things that's underlying all these things, including what you just talked about with rhythms, is discipline. Saying, I'm going to be disciplined enough not just to chase shiny things, but I'm going to be disciplined enough to be principled about, hey, here's the things that are important. I'm going to calendar these things. I'm going to schedule these things. I'm going to have a rhythm of when I get there in the morning to walk to every employee and say hello or check on them, how's your family doing? Uh, Because even that, that's a discipline but it's a, a discipline driven by principles. Hey, my principle is I value these people, so this discipline is helping me support this value that I already have. Um, so that's really, that's really good. I appreciate that. You also mentioned mentors and coaches. Um, do you have any thoughts on that or any feedback on that? Like, what do you do in terms of mentors and coaches to help you become a better leader? Um,
3: I think... Uh
1: there's lots of levels to that mm-hmm.
3: um, when I stepped into the role that I'm in uh, the organization that I serve provide me with a, a coach and a mentor uh, paid coach and a volunteer mentor for a period of time I'd already had a couple of mentors prior to that but I think forcing the reflection um, you know in terms of you know my hearing feedback from people mm-hmm. um, and, and what to do with it because uh, If somebody's saying that i communicate poorly what does that mean yeah right like so if i just say you know what michael's not a good communicator a mentor or a coach can maybe help me break that down yeah it's your body language or it's this combination of things or you jump around and don't complete your thought um or something like that yeah um if it's in terms of a coach can help you recognize you know like this is a weakness that you actually need to develop in order to be a stronger leader. Sometimes you just need to focus on your strengths, mm-hmm. but sometimes you need to be able to recognize this is actually a weakness that's holding you back and yeah. you should spend some time on
1: it. Yeah. Yeah. I think we undersell, I know I did a leadership night. We've been doing this a while, a, while, a couple of years ago about mentors and coaches and the value of finding mentors and coaches. And uh, I can't stress that enough for you guys that if, if, you want to become a better leader, one of the best things you can do is find somebody who will mentor you and they're not just gonna knock on your door and go, you look like you've got a lot of potential, I'd like to mentor you, you gotta chase them down, you gotta harass them and hound them and you've gotta pursue them. Say, hey, can I buy you a cup of coffee? Hey, can I, cause they're probably not gonna call you. Uh, and I've done that same thing and honestly, that's one of the things that's helped me with my leadership so much. Yeah, in another life I had my own business
3: Um, and I worked with people out of state in the Mm -hmm. same type of business um, and and asked them to be mentors because I recognized that they had grown their business to a point where I wanted mine to be pursuing. Uh, So sometimes you got to be really active and
1: find them. Yeah, and, and my standard for me personally for mentors or coaches was I want pastors who lead churches that I want Summit to look like when we grow up. You know, like that's how I would say it kind of colloquially. And so if there were pastors that were just doing good things, their congregations were large or they were making impact, whatever it was, I would go, man, I want us to look like that. So I would just hang out with them and spend time with them and pick up every scrap that they would drop and try to apply it. I think we got time for maybe one more before we kick it back to Blairsville. Uh, Any other thoughts on what else we would do? What else, what are some other skills that we can learn to grow our leadership? Skills to learn. The handsome man on my left. Sorry, Craig, it's not you. (laughs) It's the other handsome man. Sorry.
4: I think that something really important is to learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. And we can control uncomfortable situations or at least finding uncomfortable situations. And I think until we really get comfortable in uncomfortable situations, (laughs) we're not necessarily Growing, yeah, probably our skill set, so yeah, one of the things that well, one of the things I personally always try to do is stay in the company of people who keep me on my toes <laughs> or mm-hmm. challenge me, so to speak, so that not every mindset that I'm hearing is is resembling my own mindset because then I get caught in a situation where it's kind of a self fulfilling uh it, yeah, prophecy, you know, prophecy yeah. yes that that um you know. only going to seek out the folks that i think are going to be like-minded or said Mm -hmm. another way you know the broader the pool that i can connect with even though i know i'm going to be uncomfortable in that setting yeah generally leads to something very positive and i may not even know why at the moment but just having that challenge um, because leaders are always uncomfortable in my opinion and I would also say just to the point of, of you know, how do you seek out someone, um, good leaders or people who consider themselves good leaders, I've found in my life are always excited to talk about leadership to people that want to be good leaders. Yeah. So just seeking out someone that you feel is doing it the right way and saying, could I have a leadership conversation mm-hmm. with you is extremely powerful. And, yeah. um, you know, I've done that many times in different, Different professions because leadership transcends all of our professions. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that those principles. So, if you're a leader, or for instance, several years ago when I was very much growing—not that I'm not—I'm always still growing—but um, I was I was challenged in a course that I was taking at Northwestern University to seek out leaders in the community that I thought were doing things the right way. And so I just cold called, uh, you know, uh, Steve Wolf from Indiana Regional Medical mm-hmm. Center. And uh, someone that I had looked up to because the Indiana Regional Medical Center is thriving, and mm-hmm. you know there are hundreds and hundreds of employees there, and uh, had a great conversation and I feel like all those conversations impact how we are, who we are.
1: yeah uh, stay, stay there for a second, Justin. Before you're in the role that you're in now, um, you were part of the organization, but what are the can you can you name? Let me back up. I don't want to be so specific. Did you anticipate you would be more comfortable than in your, like, hey, when I get to this role, then it's going to be a little easier. I won't have some of the discomforts I have now, or you know what I mean? Does that make sense? And how, how did your expectation match up with the reality?
4: Well, I will tell you that uh, today, in my five, the five years that I've been uh, had a title of leader of an organization, I've been extremely uncomfortable. Yeah. I don't know that I've spent a comfortable day but that doesn't mean that I haven't done things the right way. And that doesn't mean that I'm not confident. And I think also humility, you can be humble and self-confident at the same time. And I think that the self-confidence is the key to perhaps not getting walked all over would be that, you know, I firmly believe that humility and gentleness are a sign of strength, not weakness, but it can be taken advantage of rather quickly. And I have to know where the bite comes in when I have to, you know, when that moment has to come where there has to be a reset. Um, but to your point, I I was given great advice very early on in my career by someone that I trust, and it was, just be great at the position that you're in mm-hmm. at the moment. Mm-hmm. And if you work on being great in the moment that you're in, good things will happen. And you won, may not even know where you're going to go, but if someone asks you what's your five-year plan, you you should always say, my five-year plan is to be great at what I'm doing.
1: Yeah, that's good. That's good. Thank you very much, Justin. Hey, I don't want to delay you guys in Blairsville. I'm going to turn it over to Colin there in Blairsville, and um, he's going to wrap up down there. Appreciate you guys very much. We're going to continue the conversation here. If you'd like to hear what we're doing later, then uh, download the podcast and check it out. Uh, But we'll continue on here uh, in Indiana. So any other thoughts? That's good stuff, Justin. I appreciate it. Other skills that we want to grow at. Yeah.
4: Well, I sit here and I'm thinking about what I always saw as a good leader, and I think I think back to the teachers or leaders that were stern, mm-hmm. stuck to the book, and you knew what to expect with them. Though the consistency is key, I think. Yeah. You know. So how do we
1: learn consistency?
4: Discipline. You know, uh, I think a big part of it too is like self-reflecting in the evening, mm-hmm. you know, going over your day maybe running some things by people you trust, maybe a leader or a mentor, Mm -hmm. Uh, and just being able to honestly take a true look at your part in the day Mm -hmm. and how you interact with people. Yeah,
1: yeah, it kind of stinks because the only way to learn consistency is to choose to be consistent. You know, (laughs) it's like, well, how do you get smarter? Be smarter. Like, well, wait a second. But it's, it's, it's kind of true. You just discipline yourself and go, I don't feel like doing this, but I'm going to do it. Uh, whether it's with what we eat or working out or discipline in leadership or whatever it is, if we're going to be consistent, we just have to do it. Make the hard choice. So that's good. Good. That's good feedback. What else? Other skills we can learn to become better leaders.
0: Um, I have a question.
1: Okay. How do you
0: manage your lack of hesitation to engage conflict? Because if you're too hesitant to engage conflict, I think you're not a good leader because you'll kick things under the rug. Um, but if you are willing and maybe even desire conflict in a strange sort of way,
1: hmm.
0: mm-hmm. how do you manage that so that it can promote your aim to be a good leader?
1: It's a good question. Um Hmm. Anybody have any thoughts on that? It's kind of multifaceted there, but... So basically what you're saying is... Um, well, it's kind of the... Uh, uh,
0: if you're like a a fighter by uh-huh. profession, and I'm not a fighter by profession, so I can't say whether this is true, but I've heard that it's hard to shut that off mm-hmm. when you're not fighting. Yeah, And so, as a leader, you have to have the most difficult conversations of your life while you're leading, and you have to be ready to do those things. And how do you keep that readiness from spilling out into areas where you probably need to have a more gentle touch?
1: I think, I think that probably comes with practice, uh, with experience. Um, so the first church that I ever led at a high level was a church in Oklahoma City. It was a church I came from when I came to Summit. And I oversaw um, mm, a bunch of a bunch of staff. There were we had a lo- dozens and dozens and dozens of staff that I oversaw, and we had several thousand people at my location on a weekend. So I mean, it was a very large church by any standard, and it was strange going from a role where um, I supervised people, but not to that extent, to now I'm thrown into this place where literally I will say to do something and a dozen people will go make that happen. That was weird. And so when I first started that, my wife had a conversation with me. And, um, and she said one day when I got home, she and a lot of you, know, you guys know my wife, she just said, like I said something and she looked at me and said, I'm not your employee. And I was like,
0: whew.
1: Oh, okay, yeah, I just talked to her like i 've been talking to people at the office, and I had to learn I had to learn how to engage and disengage and that I had to learn that um, and so when it comes specifically to hard conversations or when to fight and when not to fight, I think we learn discernment as we as we mature and develop, and I think I understand. Um, and intuitively when I'm talking to somebody, hey, this is somebody who I need to engage at a higher level, or I need to confront with a little more force. And again, not that I'm being a bully or hateful or anything like that, but with our staff, I've earned, I've got enough credibility that I can be a little more direct because I've, on the back end, I've been good to them. Like I've shown them affection and love and tried to be paternal in my leadership so that when the time comes to correct, I've got enough credibility, I can go, you need to stop doing that. You know, and I can be very direct with them. So I think it's just something you learn and understanding, hey, this is not somebody it's my job to correct or to confront in this kind of way. And so it's just, I think you learn. I think it's somebody that carries a sidearm that they have a concealed carry permit. You don't want somebody crazy carrying that around because you could hurt somebody very easily, right? If somebody doesn't have discernment, and the same thing is true with our words, with our correction, those kind of things. If you don't have discernment on when to use that, when to point that at somebody, you're, you're gonna cause a lot more damage than good. So I talked all around that, I don't know if I answered that or not. Okay, that's good we got 12 minutes, but that doesn't mean we have to stop. I mean, we have to go to, to 8 o'clock. We can stop early, and I won't be offended by that. But if you got more questions or comments or thoughts about other skills that we can work on to grow our leadership, I'm happy to engage that, and we can talk through that.
0: What are some advantages of pretending like you're the only person? Like, Because you say all the time that even if you're not the leader, you're still tr- you should try to be a leader, even Mm -hmm. in whatever role you're in. What are some advantages to pretending like you are the only one who can move the ball forward and that you have to get all of the most important work done? Um, And how would those advantages scale to something like a romantic relationship, maybe a (laughs) marriage?
1: God, what are we doing? Um, Let me start with this. There are definitely disadvantages to doing to thinking. It all rests on you because um, you you're, you may be neglecting a team that can help you be more successful, and so you got to be careful about when to engage that muscle and go, "Hey, I'm going to work as if it all depends on me," or "I'm going to work as if I'm the boss." Um, and and we're talking about you know. Uh, we talked about it in staff meeting. Um, I think Gil talked about uh, the, the extreme ownership. Was it Gil the one who talked about yeah, that? Mm-hmm. Was it Jocko? Yeah. That, yeah, wrote extreme ownership. And here's the thing. we I want all of our staff to have a high level of ownership because if, they are, if they're engaging our organization like they're an owner, then they're going to look at it the same way I do. Not that I'm the owner, but you understand. They're going to look at it the same way I do because I look at this place dramatically different than some of our team does. And if I can get everybody to look at this the same way, not that they, I need them to do my job, but I need them to see things that I see so that, so that things can get done easier. I need people to understand, hey, even though my job's not to clean the facility, if there's stuff that's a mess, um, I'm gonna own that whether it's my job or not i'm going to help with that hey there's trash in the parking lot i'm going to stop and pick it up not because it's my job but because i'm i'm owning this that is huge and that's uh that's a game changer and i think every person no matter where you're at on your org chart should approach your organization that way like i want my organization to be as good as it possibly can so i'm going to own every problem it's not somebody else's problem i want to help see this resolved and fixed and And so that mindset, when you take it into the marriage, is really important because a biblical standard for marriage is that we serve each other and we're submitted to each other, that we love each other sacrificially and we're mutually submitted to each other. And what happens in problematic marriages is when somebody goes, well, I did this, now it's your turn. Well, why aren't you? I'm not, you're not doing your part. I'm not doing my part. There is no ownership it is, um, it is contractual. If you do your end, then I'll do my end and we'll be happy. But the second somebody drops the ball, we go, well, now I don't have to. Um, well, you cha- I changed the last dirty diaper. You have to change this diaper. Uh, you know, it's, it's a quid pro quo. It's you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. And so even in the context of relationships and marriages, if we can understand the importance of, of valuing the other sacrificially and valuing the organization sacrificially, I think it makes everybody better. I didn't mean to preach, but... No, I
0: think that I'm really glad you you finished the connection to the marriage because what I was thinking was that almost all bad marriages that you would observe have that element in it, that hyper-focus on division of labor. And so if you do that at the workplace and you're hyper-focused on division of of Mm -hmm. labor, it seems like that would have weird negative consequences that you might not foresee. And I think that if you pretend like you're the only one who can do it, it has weird positive uh, consequences that you might not foresee. Like I recently had a conversation where I had a nice breath of fresh air that like a lot of the pressure that I felt was pressure I was putting on myself and I didn't even have to do that. So that was a that was a nice sensation. And I think that in the marriage context, what's, why is it an issue if you accidentally end up with a happy wife? Yeah. You know?
1: (laughs) So um, early in our marriage, um, my wife, it became very evident that my wife was not uh, gifted at cleaning up um, bodily fluids by our kids. Can I say it that way? Is that is that detailed enough? She, she cannot handle it, cannot do it. And so that was my responsibility. So if they got up in the middle of the night, if they were sick, if they were like, it was my responsibility. And, and I didn't begrudge that. And one time I was talking to my mom and my mom's probably watching. I love you, mama. Uh, so my, my mom um, asked me one time, she said, that doesn't seem fair that you get up with the girls every time they're sick. And I said, mom, I'm not doing it for Kim. Kim. I'm doing it for the girls. So it's not a sacrifice for me to do it for the girls. If I was looking at Kim going, well, I have to do this every time, then then it's a problem, but I never did. And there might be times that I'm like, I wish she would clean up this throw up instead of me. But uh, but at the end of the day, I had to keep going, no, 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 this is, this is for the girls and they can't do this on their own. So I am owning this. This is my responsibility. Um, and it created a healthier marriage. It created... I mean, my girls have memories of their being little, getting H1N1 when, you know, uh, the swine flu, when they were in the third grade. They remember that because I was there to clean it up and help them and, you know, all those kind of things. And so at the end of the day, I think there is something really powerful about going, okay, hey, whether it's my organization, my marriage, my neighborhood, my friends, my relationships, I'm going to own it. I'm going to do what I'm going to, it's not somebody else's responsibility. It's my responsibility. So I think that's, there's something powerful about that. That's good We're going to start talking about Jocko now
2: um, quickly, as far as you know something that you talked about, I think Michael just sort of brought it up. you know I've seen different leaders, and especially in smaller companies where people don't share responsibilities. they want to be the only person yeah, the that can com- yeah that can complete any task, yeah. and so um I think that's something that you, you really have to work at and take a look at, you know, show people around you how your how your uh, job functions and mm-hmm. how your responsibilities are accomplished. Teach them. Um, maybe even that's uh, in a way mentoring. But I, I've seen people where the job just sort of eats them alive because mm-hmm. they can't share those responsibilities or teach anybody. Uh, they just feel like it's a, a, a guarded like, secret in the vault yeah. and uh, it's, it's like gold and you can't give it away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's one thing that, you know, leaders have to do mm-hmm. is impart what they've, you know, the wisdom that they've earned, give it to somebody else so that you continue to grow that way.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so,
0: well, I thought you might, like, but I, like yeah. so I think sometimes the reason that happens is because, it's incentivized in that when you have an employee like that, they're worth more. Mm -hmm. And so how do you, how do you navigate that as like a hiring
2: manager? Because you need the person there. Like you need them. Yeah. And you are incentivized, but you're incentivized. The company is not really incentivized. Actually, you're sort of a weakness to the company because you're say something happens to you. You're no longer able to perform your function um, and no one's able to perform your function because no one else knows how to, um, you know, you you put your company in a real big stretch, yeah. uh, to try to, you know, accomplish what you're doing.
1: Um, and let me look real quick. Who is it that talks about, uh, level five leaders? It's not Jack Welch, is it? Um, uh, John Maxwell. Yeah. John Maxwell talks about it. Anyway, one of the things I thought it was Jack Welch, but I might be wrong. Um, Maybe it was good, great, Gary Collins. I don't remember now. Anyway, um, one of the things that I've heard in the past is that level five leaders, the top leadership tier you can get to is leadership that says, my organization is better after I leave. Um, and, And that's the thing, if... After I leave, they are better off because I have put them in a better position. I have established culture. I've established systems. I've put the right people in place. So when I'm gone, they're actually better. They they thrive and do well. And I think when we have a team of specialists, like you were just saying, Trav, that people that I'm the only one, I know, I know we're the secret sauce that nobody else does, when they are gone, they can't be replaced. The organization is worse in that moment. And so um, I think there is motivation there for people to be able to go, hey, nobody else can do what I do, I'm special. But it is a weakness for an organization, so I think there is a lot of value in going, hey, we need to cross-train. We need to know what other people are doing. We need, you know, because again, how are we gonna be better? How's the organization better if this person's gone and we collapse? So that's good. 757. Is that gonna be it for tonight? Um, let me do this. I'm gonna pray for you guys. I was not very spiritual. I didn't pray at the top. So let me pray for you now. And then we will, uh, we'll dismiss and we'll stick around and talk. And before we do, I wanna encourage you, those of you in the room, make sure you connect with somebody else in the room. There are some good leaders sitting in this room. Um, go talk to some people, say hello, exchange information, whatever it might be. Um, but feel free to ask some leadership questions to people in this room before you go. Let me pray for you. Lord, thanks so much for the gift of uh, leadership in whatever role we are leading in, no matter what our positions are, what our our influence is. Lord, I believe you are wanting to grow our influence and grow our leadership and help us lead better, ultimately for your glory. So God, minister in and through us. God, I pray that you give us creative ways uh, to, to lead better. I pray that you would help us be disciplined enough to take steps to lead better. God, I pray that you would help us do the things we need to do so that we can Close the gap between the leader we want to be and the leader we currently are. So God, minister in and through us. Be glorified in Christ's name. Amen. Guys, I love you. Have an incredible week. And I hope to see you this weekend at Summit Church. God bless you.
0: If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to Summit Podcasts, and we will see you in the next episode.